0: Once upon a time there was a man named Peter, he was a fisherman, until he met Jesus and Jesus asked him to be his follower and so Peter left everything to follow Jesus because he was impressed by him, he thought he might be the coming king and savior, he could tell that there was power in his words, he witnessed him do miracles and so Peter decided to follow this guy uh, named Jesus around and um, just like the kids should be following Jerry down the hall right now. Uh, and and, and he, he, defo- he decided to follow this uh, guy named Jesus around, and this meant that he that he followed him and he, and he heard him teach. And he listened to him teach over and over and over again and he learned from the wisdom that Jesus had. And this this meant that, that he witnessed him do countless miracles. And it also meant uh that he spent time uh just just hanging out with Jesus and and picking his brain and, and hearing what he had to say about life and things like that and we think about that and we think that's really cool and uh, that's, that's what we strive to be. But, but something that I think we forget is, is that Peter didn't just become a follower of Jesus in, in that time frame of his life. He, he really became a good friend of Jesus. Peter loved Jesus maybe more than anybody else that Peter loved. He had a deep and passionate friendship with him. So much so that uh, on the the last night of Jesus' life, Peter doesn't know it's the last night of Jesus' life, but uh, Jesus gets ready to wash the disciples' feet, Peter and the other followers of Jesus. He gets ready to do that and puts a towel around his waist and gets out a basin of water. And, and, And notice what Peter says. He says, no way that you're going to wash my feet. That's not going to happen. Peter loved Jesus and respected him so highly that he said there's no way. That you are getting down on your hands and, and your knees and you are going to wash my dirty, disgusting feet. Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. And I think Peter's response shows his love for Jesus and his devotion to Jesus and his respect for Jesus. Maybe more than anything else in the entire New Testament. He says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well looks at Jesus and says, if what's required to be a part of you and a part of your life is that you wash my feet, then I want my head and my hands washed too because I want to be a part of you. I want to be a part of your life. I want our relationship to grow and be better. This is the type of love and devotion that that Peter had for Jesus. and And this is going to sound weird and and crazy, but actually just thinking about that line this, this last week, really uh, it, it brought tears to my eyes because it, it reflects a, a type of love that, that, that you very rarely experience in life, right? To just want to be a part of somebody's life that much and to respect them that much, that doesn't happen very often. There's very few relationships in my life where I could say, man, if somebody, if somebody needs to wash my feet so that I can be a more a part of their life, then wash my head in my hands too. It's pretty powerful. And really understanding this and and thinking about this makes what happens on the last night of Jesus' life and and in the life of Peter uh, more profound. And it helps us to really understand what's going to take place. And so uh, I want to look at that story tonight. Uh, Just after they ate the meal, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told you the Jews, just as I told the Jews, excuse me, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked the logical question, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. His words don't seem to add up to Peter. I mean, just put yourself in his shoes for a second. I mean, three years ago, it's been three years now, you left everything to follow this man named Jesus, and you've been going everywhere with him. And now after three years of that, the normal everyday life being going wherever Jesus goes. He says, I'm going to Galilee. You say, I'm going to Galilee too. I'm going to Jerusalem. Well, me too. Jesus looks at you and says, now where I'm going, you cannot follow me. Doesn't seem acceptable to Peter. I mean, wait, Jesus, I left everything to follow you. I'm going wherever you're going. You, you called me to follow you, remember? You said it. You said, hey, come follow me, and I did it, and here I am. And, and so now I'm definitely going wherever you're going. And so he asks another question, and, uh, maybe there's a hint of, of defiance in this. He says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? But something else that Jesus said was even more unacceptable to Peter that night. Something uh, that goes beyond Peter just kind of saying, ah, what does he mean by that? It, it really rocks Peter to the core. And you can see it in Mark fourteen twenty seven. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you all will fall away. Now, when I hear fall away, just kind of on a, a cursory level, what does that mean, we'll all fall away? But the disciples understood pretty well what Jesus was saying. He understood that, that Je- they understood that Jesus was saying to them, Every one of you is going to abandon me. It's going to happen tonight. You are going to leave me. You're going to forsake me. You're going to not follow me. Peter's like, No way. I love you, Jesus. I mean, I have so much love for you uh, that, I, that I want you to wash my hands and my feet too. I want to be everywhere you are, so there's no chance that I am going to abandon you. And so Peter's probably confused, but he doesn't open his mouth quite yet. Jesus says something else. First, he, he looks at Peter and he singles him out and he says, Simon, Simon, another name for Peter. Satan has asked, you to, sip, asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He looks at Peter and he says, Hey, that's beautiful. The heavens are opening. (laughs) I must be doing a good job this morning. (laughs) He looks at Peter and he says, Hey, I'm singling you out. I specifically prayed for you. And then notice that phrase. He says, when you turn back then strengthen your brothers. I'm pretty sure that Peter didn't hear the strengthen your brothers part because he's going, when I turn back, that means that I'm going to turn away and that's not going to happen. I love you, Jesus. I've given everything for you. I've witnessed all of your miracles. I've tried to follow your teaching. I walked on water with you. I'm not going to turn away and so your statement's pretty dumb that I'm going to have to turn back because I am not going to turn away. And in Mark 14, 29, this is what Peter says, even if all fall away, I will not and the book of John tells us that Peter takes the statement a step further and he adds this, I will lay down my life for you. Imagine that Peter is, is pretty hurt, kind of disgusted by Jesus when he utters this, just kind of maybe even annoyed, like how can Jesus say that I, the number one disciple, the super disciple, would give up on him? How can he say that? But then he throws this out there, hey, I will even die for you. And I think there's got to be just a a little bit of him inside that feels pretty good in that moment. It's probably like, ah, Jesus said I'm going to fall away. But now he's like, I just said I'd die for him. You know, that's kind of a statement that we can use pretty easily, right? Like it, you've seen it like in movies when uh, a guy wants to get a girl back and he's done something wrong. And he's like, I would die for you. And then the girl melts. And, and Peter, you know, I don't, I don't think he'd seen a movie, but maybe a play where this took place. And to throw out that giant statement, I would lay down my life for you. He has to be feeling pretty good. I said it. You know, Jesus now knows my devotion. These other Yeahs didn't say it. I said it. I will die for you. But Jesus wasn't making some offhand prediction when he said that Peter would turn away. He was, in fact, making a prophecy. And so, instead of saying, Wow, Peter, that is so great. I- I'm glad that you're going to die for me tonight. He presses further and he says something even more specific and, and maybe more hurtful to Peter. Mark 8.30, he says, Truly I tell you today, yes, tonight, Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. He gives specifics about the impending betrayal that Peter is going to do. He's going to turn his back on Jesus and he looks at him and he says, Look, I don't just know that this is going to happen. I know specifics about this because I'm telling you something that's a prophecy. Something that is true but Peter needs the last word and in Mark 8.31. He says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. So the disciples and Jesus kind of finish up, wash the dishes. Jesus continues to teach them. He comforts them some more. And, and then they head out to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, as it's called, which was just a big olive grove where Jesus and his followers hung out. And, and they go out into this garden. And Jesus looks at most of the disciples and says, hey, wait here. I need to go off and pray, but he takes three disciples with him, one of which was Peter. and In Mark fourteen thirty three, we see this. He, in speaking of Jesus, began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is, soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, "Stay here and keep watch," which means pray. Going a little farther, he fell down to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. "Abba, Father," he said, "everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me." yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he says, Simon, again Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now Jesus has already looked at Peter and says, You are going to deny me. He said, Hey, everybody's going to deny me that's sitting here. All of you. But, Peter, you are really going to deny me. You are really going to turn your back on me. And now he goes off and he's praying. And he comes back and he finds these three disciples Not praying, they're sleeping. And he looks at them and he says, Hey Peter, couldn't you have stayed awake? Now, come on, what's your reaction? You're like, "Uh, John and James are sleeping too, Jesus. I mean, come on. They fell asleep as well. That's one of my reactions. But inside, when he wasn't rationalizing, when he wasn't trying to pass the blame off on the other guys, he had to be thinking to himself something along the lines of, This is embarrassing. I just told Jesus that I would follow Him no matter what it took, even if it took death. But now I'm not even willing to stay awake and pray for Him. It had to have been a little bit uh, embarrassing, but he also had to be a little bit frustrated that he, that he keeps being singled out by Jesus and he doesn't know what this is about. And, and he has to be thinking, is Jesus against me? Does He want me to fail? There has to be a ton of emotions going on, but there isn't time to think about that because you noticed at the end, Jesus says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. At that moment, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders some other guards, they come and they start to arrest Jesus. They're they're about to take him away. Judas, you've heard of him, he betrays Jesus and he shows up and he kisses Jesus on the cheek and and the other people know that this is the Jesus that they want to arrest and they want to take him to be killed. And so they're grabbing him. And here's the thing, Peter is pretty bent on on not letting it happen. He's pretty bent on on not letting Jesus be arrested and, and fulfilling what he has just said, I will die for you. I will give up my life for you. And look what we read in in John 18, starting verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to Him, went out and asked, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am He, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with Him. When Jesus said, I am He, they drew back and fell down to the ground. Again He asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. If you were looking for Me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words... He had spoken will be fulfilled. I have not lost one that you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me. Simon looks, Peter looks, and he says, I'm here, I'm willing, I will die for you to death. And he pulls out his sword, ready to fight the battle and die for Jesus then Jesus looks at him and rebukes him. Says, hey, Peter, it's not what I'm here for. And then, and if I'm Peter, this just makes me really mad, Jesus heals the man's ear, it tells us in the book of Luke. Think about the shame that Peter must have been feeling at that moment. And I I tried, I, I wanted to die for you, Jesus. But it doesn't even look like you want me to die for you. You won't even let me fight for you, Jesus. And we can't be Peter. We can't know his feelings. But but to love somebody so much that you just want to be a part of their lives, and then to have them rebuke you when you tried to stand up for them, it must have made no sense in Peter's head. It must have been so confusing. It must have been hurtful. And what we see happen next is, is pretty sad. For Peter, Jesus in the book of Matthew says, For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do not think I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled to say it must happen this way? Jesus adds to the statement and He adds to the rebuke of Peter in some ways and says, look, I could right now if I wanted to call down angels and they would save my life. This is just adding insult to insult if you're Peter, right? Because Peter is like, you're the Messiah and the Savior and you're going to set everything right. And I'm here willing to fight and die for you, but you stop that. And now you're telling me, you were telling me that you could save your life by calling on God, but you're choosing not to do it. Everything that Peter had, had fought for, and lived for, and sought after for three years, seems to be going down the drain, even though Jesus has the opportunity and the ability to stop it. Peter's pretty hurt. Pretty sad. And in Mark 14, 53 and 54, we read this, a very interesting statement. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance. Peter's starting to regress. He doesn't understand. He's confused. He's hurt. And as they're leading Jesus away, no longer is he fighting for him, but he's backing off. He's going, I don't I don't know if I want to be up there. This doesn't look like a good situation. This is not what I had in mind and, and so Peter follows at a distance. But Peter follows right? And and in the next story that I'm about to read, the worst moments of Peter's entire life, you don't see any of the other disciples around. There is one other disciple there, but they're not mentioned by name. Peter is the only one who follows Jesus. And he follows Jesus to a a courtyard, it tells us here. And that courtyard would have been in the middle of the high priest who was putting Jesus illegally on trial. It would have been in the middle of his palace. And so Peter is there, still in the back of his mind, I believe, going, I can do this. I can stay with Jesus even if it costs me my life. The other guys, they've already run, but I'm still here. I can do this. And then it all falls apart in verses 66 through 72 in Mark. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were there with that Nazarene Jesus, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you were a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Peter remembered the word Jesus has spoken to him before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Making matters worse is that so we read in another gospel that as he denies Jesus for that third time, Peter is being or excuse me, Jesus. As Peter denies Jesus that third time, Jesus is being led out of the courtyard to go to the Roman officials so that he can be put on trial for execution. And he turns at that third denial and he looks directly into the eyes of Peter. Can you just imagine that? I mean, that's pretty bad. I, if I did that to any of you, I would feel bad. But this is not just his good friend... This is the one that he believes is the Savior. This is the same man that he saw walking on water. This is the same man that he saw transfigured or changed into a glorious state up on a mountain. He spent every single day for three years with this man. And he had promised, so clearly promised, to even lay down his life for him. But here we see, he looks into Jesus' eyes right as he says, if I know him, then let God curse me. If I know him, then let me be cursed because you guys are lying. And he breaks down and he weeps interesting that the language of he broke down, we, It's nobody really knows what that means, but it seems to give off the impression that he falls down on the ground and just starts crying. It's terrible. So here's the question. What do we learn from this? Well, the first thing that we learn, we're going to talk about a lot next week. I think we're going to have a, uh, a visit from Peter himself next week, uh, so you'll want to be here to see that. Uh, but w- the first thing that we learn from this is how great the resurrection is. That's one of the keys to this story. But we're going to talk about that next week because I don't want you leaving too happy on Mother's Day. Uh, and, and this week, this week we really see in, in Peter's biggest failure some things that led to that failure. Sometimes you you see people and you go, how did they flip a switch, right? I mean, they've lived for Jesus for years, maybe. they live really good lives and you're like, oh, they're kind of the model that I want to be like. And then, all of a sudden, it's like they hit a light switch and they become a different person. Have you ever seen this before? And whether whether it's a flat-out denial of Jesus or a denial with their lives... We see a a total change, right? We see that denial. And and so often, we think, what just happened? I mean, what just happened in that moment? How all of a sudden did this person become somebody entirely different? I can tell you story after story of people that I've seen that, that fit into what I just described to you. You go, how did you make that switch? And it would be easy for us to pick up the Bible, Mark 14, 66 through 72, and say, it just happened to Peter. I mean, he loved Jesus so much. There were so many great things going on in their relationship. I, I don't get it. I mean, he had seen such great things, and he followed Jesus for so long, even through some pretty difficult times. What happened? But what we see in this story of Peter is that there is no switch being flipped we see that he progresses to this. And it happens in really a magnified uh, level. It happens on steroids in the life of Peter. But this is the same process that we can see in our lives. And if we're going to continue to live for Jesus and avoid failures like this, then we need to avoid the things that Peter gives into here. The first thing that Peter does wrong, if you notice, is that he doesn't listen to Jesus. Jesus says, you will all fall away. And Peter responds, no, I won't. This happens a lot, right? We look at the Word of God and we say, well, it says that, but here's what I'm going to do. Well, I'm pretty sure God wants me to do this, but here's what I want to do. A- and we tell Jesus, whether with our words or our actions, we say, Jesus, what you say is not as important as what I say. I believe this is really the first step in, in Peter's progression towards the biggest failure in his life, is that he says, Jesus, you're wrong. I don't care what you say about it because that's not true. And when people start to say, God, I see your word, but I don't think it's true, then they have taken the first step towards major failure, major failure in their lives. You can see it pretty clearly in people who start to question the Bible. They say, well, that's a good book, and, and maybe God had a hand in it, but there's got to be some things in there that, that just don't fit in our current culture today. I mean, I mean, come on, that book was written 2,000 years ago, and, and immediately almost what you see in many people, as soon as they take that step, then they start taking the rest of these steps. So the first step in, in failure is to say, I'm not going to believe God. I don't care what he says because this is what I say and this is what culture tells me. The second thing that we see in Peter is that he doesn't pray. Now look, we've all been guilty of falling asleep when when we're supposed to be praying, right? I think probably 99% of the people in this room have fallen asleep when they are trying to pray. In fact, if you ever have trouble sleeping, just start praying and you'll go to sleep right away, right? Uh, This works and I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. We've all been guilty of that. But so often we kind of minimize that. Well, I was going to pray last night, but I fell asleep. You know? I was going to pray, but this other thing kind of came up. I was going to pray, but I just didn't really feel like it. And we see in the life of Peter that he apparently didn't feel like it. He was tired. I guess it had been a long day. I'm not sure. And, and so he falls asleep. And we say, ah, not that big a deal, right? He fell asleep. Jesus, get off his back. But I believe that the lack of prayer... And that connection that, that comes to God through that prayer is a, a major step that people take away from God that leads to failure. When we stop praying, when we stop uh, interacting with, with the God of heaven through communication with our words, then we really stop moving forward in our relationship with Christ and we begin to move backwards towards failure. It's easy to say, well, I'll pray tomorrow. I'll pray the next day. I'll get to that eventually. I want to be a person that prays more. But the truth is, when we don't pray, we are moving towards failure. The third thing that that Peter does is he really lets emotions begin to direct his actions. Right? Oh man, scary situation. I'm going to cut this guy's ear off. Right? He doesn't, at that point, listen to anything that Jesus has been saying for three years. I mean... Jesus taught the Sermon of the Mount, and Peter had a front row view for that, right? Pretty clearly said, bless those who persecute you, love your enemies, things like that. Turn the other cheek. That would have been a good one for Peter to draw up in this moment. But what does he do? He reacts out of emotion and feeling. A really big third step, if, if you want to fail in the Christian faith, is to start acting out of feeling and emotion. This is a big one in our society right now. I mean, it's everywhere, right? Like, if it doesn't feel good, don't worry about it. Just do whatever you want to do unless you're going to cause me a problem. Uh, that's the society that we live in. And so many people that I'm witnessing in my life are believing that lie it feels right. I feel good about it. Who cares what Jesus said? Who cares what the Bible teaches? I feel like this is the best thing for me to do right now. And we start, people start to act out of their emotions and whatever feels good for them, and they take a major step towards failure. We have to act based on what God wants, based on what is right, not on not based on what feels good if we are going to move forward and not backwards towards failure in our relationship with God. The fourth thing that Peter does is he follows Jesus at a distance. It's pretty crazy to read about Peter following Jesus at a distance, right? But but so many of us think that's acceptable in our lives. And it stands out in the life of Peter because he's followed Jesus so closely for so long. But so many of us just kind of want to do the Christian thing. They, we just kind of want to, to serve Jesus. Yeah, I'll get to church every now and then and i'll kind of love jesus and i'll i'll spend a little bit of time serving him as long as he doesn't affect the rest of my life but what we see in peter is that to half-heartedly follow jesus to follow jesus at a distance is really to begin to walk away from jesus we have to be all in in the christian faith or else we will end up failing I don't know if I can be any more clear or say anything better than that to you this morning. If we are not all in in our relationship with with God, then we will eventually fail. Jesus had told His disciples that they need to, if they are going to be His followers, be willing to metaphorically pick up their cross and follow Him every day. He didn't say, hey, follow me at a distance when I'm going to the cross. And so for you and I, if we're going to avoid failure, the fourth thing that's pretty important is for us to say, look, I am wholly and purely devoted to you, Jesus. I want all of you and nothing else. I want to be so closely connected to you and so in love with you. And when we step away from that, then we begin to move towards failure. Normally I'd end there, but since it's Mother's Day... And I want you to leave here happy and have a smile on your face when you talk to your moms. Let's put it. Let's put a positive spin on it, right? Uh, just, just for you know our own emotions' sake. It's not. It's not the right week. We handed out cups that are really cool and uh, you know all that. And so, uh, so here's the thing. If we are going to continue to follow Jesus and avoid failures, let me just say it to you again. The first thing that we need to do is listen to Jesus. We need to open up the word of God and say, what is it that God says? We need to say, what is the Holy Spirit telling me to do? And we need to try to act and listen and follow whatever it is that God is saying to us. The second thing that we need to do if we are going to live for Jesus is we need to pray. Enough said about that. The third thing that we need to do is that we need to not let emotion and feeling drive our behavior, but we need to let right and wrong drive our behavior if we are going to live fully for God. And the fourth thing that we need to do is that we need to not follow Jesus at a distance. We need to follow Him as closely and as fully as we possibly can. You think about what Peter lived through after this. Jesus looks at him. And then Jesus goes and he gets beaten and tortured and hurts. And he does that all for the sins of Peter and what Peter did in this moment. And it profoundly impacts Peter. And, And Peter eventually, as we'll see next week, decides, I'm going to follow pretty close from now on. But we, looking back on the cross, what Peter had to experience in these three days when he doesn't talk to Jesus again, what he experienced there utterly impacted him in the long run. And we must say, Jesus, you gave that much for me. You gave me that much and I don't want to fail you. I see in the Word of God that you laid down your life for me and I don't want anything but the best for you. And so I will make sure to listen to you and I will make sure to pray and I will make sure to follow you closely and I will make sure to to base my actions on right and wrong and not feeling an emotion. I'm pretty sure if we put those four things into practice, then we will be better disciples living more fully for Jesus. Will you pray with me as the band comes forward? Lord, I pray that you will draw us closer to you every day, God. We want to be people who serve you wholeheartedly, who are fully devoted to you, God. So let us not mess around with it, God. Let us not be half in, but let us be fully in, giving our entire lives to you, God. And I pray you would even work in our lives as we sing this next song. In your holy, wonderful name, amen.